Stand by for a start. Racing. At $210,000 at Isella. Done. Well done. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of The Shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia. This podcast is brought to you as always by our fantastic sponsors, IRT and Stable Financial. Joining me today to discuss all things racing and breeding while we wait for the kickoff of the Inglis Great Southern Sale, our equine relocator, self-proclaimed equine relocator, and FBA member Peter Ford, and the much-travelled Anthony Tubber-Williams, Director of Stallions at Newgate Farm, and possibly, well, I'd say definitely Tubber, the most recognisable laugh in Australian racing. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Mick. And Tubber, good morning. Now, Oakland's is a, well, horse sales in general, I think. They're a bit of a funny place. You see the same faces throughout the sales season. They really kick off with well, January with Magic Millions, and they run through to to June with uh, with the Great Southern, sort of the, the, the culmination of the sales year, you see a lot of the same faces. A lot of friendships are made on sales yards, sometimes during work hours, sometimes after after work at the bar. Uh, am I right in saying you gentlemen might have met each other first time out many years ago at a horse sale? Well, we obviously knew about each other, but um, I hadn't met Cover until one day I'm here. And uh, a young man was putting a pattern on the rump of a horse, mate, trying to get a few extra dollars for whoever owned it um, in one of the lanes out here at Oakland's when I think, Anthony, you worked for Delgetty at the time. It was back Delgetty Bloodstock. What do you mean Delgetty Bloodstock? Philip Campbell's Bloodstock. father was, was, was my Well, Graham, Graham gave me my first job in Bloodstock, which was in 1979. This complex here opened in 1982. So um, John Ford bought lot one. Did he really? Yeah. It was actually amazing. The old complex back in um, near Flemington Racecourse, um, just be was it was a was an iconic old building and the dome and whatever out there at the time. And that's where I first started working at sales was way back when in 1976. But um, this complex out here opened in 82. There was a February sale here in 82, which was just a mixed sale. And then the first yearling sale was in March of 82 here. And you're right, Graham Campbell was the, the general manager. And he'd come on from Wright Stevenson's to Delgetty Bloodstock down at Flemington and then um, out here to Oakland's Junction. And he was he was the mainstay behind... Um, building this complex at the time. There was a bit of conjecture at the time, if I remember, because uh, we were, I suppose it's a bit like Randwick moving out to the Warwick Farm. I mean, we had a wonderful complex in there at, at Flemington, opposite Flemington Racecourse, just behind the, what was that pub on the corner? There? The Racecourse. <laughs> the Racecourse Hotel. Many a jar had at the Racecourse <laughs> by many of the, the people Didn't that went there. out at some point? Um Stock take was stock take of sorts. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> no, but there was a little bit of conjecture. Uh, I think moving out here, I suppose people don't like change, and but I mean we've seen it in, in Sydney, and the changes, although it's different, it's it's really good. It's great to view horses and 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 and, and stuff. But Randwick had charm, like 
like uh, Flemington had charm. Yeah, but if you we have to go if, forward. If you turn the clock forward, this is forty-one years now out here. Is it? Um, if you turn the clock forward in this day and age, the old complex would be far outdated. Oh, and thank goodness for Victoria Victorian breeders that they have this complex here now, which is foresight forty yep. five odd years ago. Yeah, with the build up to to um. The stallion, the stallion ranks in Victoria and close by South Australia were outstanding around that time. Well, look, that's the early 80s when this opened, but if you go back to the 70s, and I'll stand to be corrected on this, but the number was somewhere around 3,500 stallions stood in Australia. Bloody hell. 3,500? I'll stand to be corrected, but it was somewhere around there. Now, some of those stallions might have covered one mare, and way back when you'd see in catalogues by a station site or by unidentified or whatever. So a lot of those Riverina farms, a lot of farms all around the country, a lot of stations might have had a stallion that covered their mare or two. Mm -hmm. And the stud book was certainly a lot different than the recordings. Now it's all blood typed, everything's... You had your five slips, you branded them yourself and you know, rushed at them from you know with your fire brand. It brings us, I guess, to the topic of this podcast, which is the evolution of the stallion market, you know, how they how they are promoted, how they stand, uh how how they're pushed out to to the wider racing industry. Like stallions are seen now as this pinnacle of performance and the most valuable commodity when they come off the track. But as you say, Going back sort of 40 years ago, 50 mares was a full walk. 50 mares was a full, full yeah, walk and, and, and there's 3,500 standing. Yeah, but look, a lot of those standings didn't cover many, to be yeah. fair. But in this day and age, um, with, um, I'll stand to be corrected, I think, what do we got about five or 600 standings? You don't better know. But... If you went back then, a lot of stallions got a chance and a, a big book was 50 mares mm -hmm. in the 70s and into the 80s, 50, 60. And, you know, if when they started covering 100 mares, everyone said, oh, they're murdering that stallion. Yeah. But the evolution of all of that, from my memory, was that veterinary practices became uh, a lot more intense. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more um, technology involved with scanners and whatever. So if you went back to those times, a stallion may have may have taken, for the want of example, and I'm not exactly sure, say two and a half covers for a pregnancy when now it's probably 1.3. So even though they covered 50 mares, they probably were having as many services as what a stallion covering one 110, 120 now. So technology has certainly assisted in all of that. It has reduced the number of stadiums because people then had access to going to the so-called better stadiums and they started covering a lot more mares. And as time has gone on, um, and I think there's starting to be a little bit of a balance occurring with, with all the stadium farms now, and we've all been guilty of it. We've covered 250 mares with a stallion, and they do work. And some stallions can handle it. Well, like Daniel did a couple of hundred in each hemisphere. For yeah, family. and look, they all can't handle it, but some can handle it. Yeah. Um, no doubting as time goes on with each season, they probably get sick of it. 
you know, I think there'll be a balance come in and we, we sort of try and keep them to a, a respectable number I mean, to where your clients and your breeders can get a return in, this, in the marketplace. It's important to get your, your result of pregnancy into a sale eventually. So you, you can't be competing with too many. And, and that commercial aspect is, is real. And, and am I right in saying that when we had 3,500 stallions standing, that a lot of those were probably breed-to-race style of horses. And now the market has moved and with the, uh, the boon in, in yielding sales and whatnot, getting your horse to a sale is just as important for a lot of people as it is racing them and enjoying yeah. them on the track. Well, there were a lot more breed-to-race breeders and you, you go up to your Gerilderies and all those places where your Ken Sweeney started off. Oh, one impressive Ilston. But having said that, Ilston. Ken himself had a stadium up there. He bred his own mares. All the locals would, you know, and at the end of the day, they'd send their racehorse to the local trainer. And the big thing for all of those people were to win the local cup. Yeah, It did not matter where it was, whether it was Moulamine, whether it was Gerildery, whether it was um, outback Western Australia, anyone from the local area, the local trainer, all they wanted to do was win the local cup. And as it's all evolved, um, we'll say commercially, if that's the right way to term this, and we're probably all guilty of this process. We pay a lot of money for stallions now. I mean, a huge amount of money. And you do have to recoup that outlay. It's a balance sheet as much as it's a stallion. To a certain degree, it is. The costs with producing horses now is really blown out. And I'm not, I'm not saying the wrong thing by saying that. You Your your adjustment costs, your farm costs, your, your veterinary costs transport insurance, on and on and on. It is a damn expensive exercise now to do it. So you have to be at a level in the market to for it to be worthwhile. And we're probably seeing it tightening up right now as we speak, sure. where the gap in the market is starting to widen. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. So the, the change from homebred, bred to race, to that commercial aspect, in, in each of your memories or, or, or opinions, was there a, a single figure or a couple of figures that, that drove that change? Was, it a, was there a, an organisation or a big investor that sort of came in and, and really grabbed a hold of that stallion part of the market as an opportunity to, to make big money? Your, your outfit currently, Newgate, yeah. is is kind of led the way the last few years 
here. Yeah, but that, it, all evolved, it all evolved from the shuttle horse. Yes. So when the shuttle horses started coming in, or this is my memory of it, once the shuttle horses coming in, they started to cover more and more. And we had access to horses that we'd That's never right. had access before, whether it be Dane Hill, Last Tycoon, Royal Academies. Um, one of the first ones was God's Walk over at Lindsay Park. So, I mean, way back when we started to have access to those horses, it's actually all turned to where we now, the colonial horse, mm -hmm. the colonial bread is what we're all after now. Having said that, we probably wouldn't have the colonial standings we have now if it wasn't for the shuttle horses being introduced way back when. And we've, we're talking over 40 years ago now. Well, when, when as a as a in my late thirties, I started doing a little bit of work for IRT, and every year I'd go to Kentucky and spend a few days, three four days, get to know the stallions, and then load them on the plane and bring them back to Sydney, and then at the end of the season, return them back to America. Mm. So you know, you got to got very close to horses like Brewer Academy, I'm Woodman for the first time, Spinning World, Tail of the Cat, horses like that that you you would never. You know, um, that have actually come here and left their mark incredibly. You know, how many times, Tubbard, we see a mare, a foal, a, a yearling out of a out of a Royal Academy mare and think, gee, it's a beautiful sort like him. Royal Academy and Dehi were probably the okay. most beautiful looking horses you could ever see. But we have had access to a range of stallions that Australia, Australasia never had access to before. In turn, that has assisted us with. We wouldn't have Reduce Choice. We wouldn't have Written Tycoon. Yeah. We wouldn't have had any of a Schnitzel by Reduce by Daniel and on and on and on yeah. and on. They've actually assisted with the development of, and from a sprinting perspective, Australia holds its own with anywhere in the world, as we've seen with horses that have campaigned internationally. Unfortunately, probably not with the middle distance horse as much. And we do see a lot of European horses coming in and you know to fill that yeah to fill that void having said that there's some stallions now standing here that i think if you look at them logically they're in that in that gap and i'll say you so you think seamus award in new zealand savabile um piero to a degree as um, a classic producer yeah piero i mean dundeal and like at Newgate, we've got State of Rest coming who won the Cox Plate, and he's like a good middle distance, a sharp middle distance horse that can, you know, run on the pace. And if you look at all those horses, your So You Thinks, your Seamus Awards, your State of Rests especially, they're on pace and can kick. They've got that turn of foot, you know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on the Japanese uh, uh, horses that come in? I mean, well, look, I may, I don't think I'll be castigated for this. If you turn the clock back to the Fuji Kasikis, who is a very good stallion in, in Japan, this isn't a Japanese horse, but I align him with them as Thunder Gulch, right? If you have a look, trainers that seem to be a bit tougher on those horses seem to have more success with the progeny of them. Um, and the Japanese horse and oh, 15, 16, 17 years when I'd go up to the international meeting at Hong Kong, you'd see those Japanese horses there. 
and by gee, they give it to them. They work them pretty solidly. A lot harder than what we'll say the conventional trainer in Australia would work them. And they probably need it. They've bred one of the toughest, hardiest breeds in the world. And is that why they're working here in Australia? A lot of the, you hear it often, you know, there's an American stallion that comes out and people say, oh, they don't really work here. And certain European stallions come and stand and maybe they have a great start or or a great result in, in Europe and they're getting real momentum there. But when they come here, they can't repeat it to the same degree. The Japanese stallions seem to have had an immediate impact, but they've been, I guess, more prominent, more often. Do you think it's because of that toughness? I don't know that they really, of late, there's been a couple of Japanese stallions and, and Maurice is one, and I don't, you know, I'm sure they wouldn't mind me mentioning. He's actually going along very, very well. So Tono Aladdin, another one that's in starting to get some momentum. To, exactly. And maybe that deep impact blood not that Maurice, but that deep impact blood may work better here. I don't know. Time will tell that. But um, it just appears if you turn the clock back, they needed it a bit harder to perform at their best. And perhaps some Australian trainers are a little one-dimensional in that respect. They haven't quite been screwed down as much as they naturally need. And the Japanese... Have bred an amazing horse, and they're yeah, all historically, a- historically, like in um, the mid '60s, my dad and David Coles and respective wives went to Japan, and um, he first of all, he said they breed horses up here; they're in the snow half the time, mm-hmm. and he said, and they sell foals. You've never seen you know foal sales before. He said, don't you worry about the Japanese; they'll be breeding some really tough horses. And a few years later, we sent a, a Cox Plate winner. He sold a Cox Plate winner over there called Star Affair that went and stood in Japan. And that was in early 70s, 72, I think yeah. he went over. We see there was a stallion from South Australia. We can't forget South Australia no. because, by God, that was a that was a great nursery, South Australia. And, it, and it is nearly forgotten without fear, all those sorts of Big things. Boise Boy stood in yeah. South Australia and actually went to Japan to stand afterwards. Yeah. Now, he side group one winners here and a derby winner and a, an Oakley Plate winner and whatever. He did go over there. Probably didn't hit it over there, but mm. there's standings from here that did go there. The thing that sticks in your mind about, in my mind, about Japanese uh, progeny that have come out here, when we see those two horses that Quinnell de Cup, uh-huh. Delta Blues and, and, and the other one, Pop Rock, Pop uh, was a problem. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they were kind of gone, the 600. They were under the shillelagh. And, and just kept and fighting. just kept finding. And so I suppose we see the difference in the way they're trained to the way we train our horses. And, and um, yeah, no, they're, they're brave horses is what you've got to say. But, but, look, there'll always be exceptions to the rule and there'll be Japanese horses that come out here and work really well yeah. with, with our mares, yeah. uh, both Australia and New Zealand. And um, Mick made a comment before about the the American horses. A lot of American stallions have come out here, and there's more than ready big maker. Yeah, right. Yeah. And he was a great stallion. Most have technically failed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the mares that come out here that are American mares have done really well yes. with our colonial and you guys have been a great driver of that identifying an opportunity with an, a faster american 
type of mayor and bringing them here under our, as you say, colonial style. Look, there's no doubting that. And if you sit back and look at logically, um, most of the mayors that Newgate and Henry and Essex Bloodstock will bring out here do have a race record. They're actually yep. they're, they're good, pretty good mayors. So they're black type mayors, um, you know, they source them, they work hard on it. Don't bring a lot out. It might be three or four a year, you know, it's not huge numbers. And they are doing well here. But they are of a level on the racetrack. They're not just leaners or half to, you know, they're stakes winners. They've shown plenty. Coming back to, I guess, the the marketing push around a stallion. You know, they're retired off the track. They're big news. And racing publications, media, they always pick it up. And, and I guess the sexy angle is, you know, sold for 40 million or 20 million, ridiculous amounts of money that immediately brings gravitas with it for the horse. Tubba, from your experience, you go then and prior, what's the key to successfully marketing a stallion? And how has that changed in the last 10 years with you know, competition with Newgate, Arrowfield, Coolmore, Yulong entering the market, Whedon? It's a very busy space. So how do you get cut through? Well, it's a busy space for now what you would say is a, a smaller group of farms. If you turn the clock back, there were a lot of farms stood stallions, and I said there were massive numbers stood. So it was a, it was a lot more diluted in that respect. We're now... And, you know, all of the bigger farms, Newgate included, have a wonderful marketing team who are really out there promoting all the time. We've got some wonderful shareholders that assist in helping make these stands. They send, they buy and send good mares. We need breeders to be shareholders in stands. And it's all about getting a certain number to them and, you know, you try and, and we've we've stood some standings that aren't group one horses and there's some non-group one winners that have really done well and I'm invincible is the obvious one at the top of the tree with written tycoon also being another one. But the dynamic is trying to have the best standings you can, the best types you can, best race performances you can, and support them with a balance of mares to hopefully assist them in making it on the track. And to be fair, with all those farms you mentioned, everyone's had a successful stadium. Newgate, you know, we've been very fortunate in getting capitalist Russian revolution and deep field. Deep deep fields the crying shame yeah. because of um these fertility as it is now. But not to forget extreme choice. Yeah. And it just goes to show me um sizes and everything. Well, no, he's not a big horse. He's a small horse. But he had unbelievable talent on the race course. Group one, group two, two-time group one winner, massive speed. But it goes to show you that you actually don't need the numbers to make it mm-hmm. if you are elite or only if you are that good. At the moment, he's running somewhere around one group one winner per 23 starters. <laughs> which is amazing. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal. The unfortunate thing is his libido and fertility is not great. It's it's um, well documented. Everyone knows that. The numbers he has out there on the race course 
I think he's running at about 15% stakes when it's still running. Like, he is a limit. At 40, when you've got numbers like that, you market yourself because you're a rare commodity and you're getting the results. But can you, do you ever foresee a time when Stallion Farms would have a marketing team? Like it's, it's, Not it's, back in my day when, when it was before, uh, well, I can wind it back a little bit into but the risk of sounding like an historian. But in my old man's day, when he started, he'd ride the stallion out into the paddock, put the saddle and ride him out, whatever followed him home, he'd cover. So that was the way he did it back then before a scanner came in. I can remember Lenny Rhodes, when he first got the ski, said, I'm going to throw this scanner in the river. I'm not getting anything in foal. Yeah. So he blamed the scanner, which it obviously wasn't. But it, it was hard to it was hard to get that technology into the old timers. So um, can I see off the time? I, I think um, Tubbers farm is the most wonderful marketing company and horse stallion farm that we've seen in Australia. Right. Um, and, it, and it is, and I've said the same, said it to Gavin and Henry, exactly the same thing. And I really appreciate what they do. Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started, and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion. I've worked with production companies that have been mainstream production companies that do ads for Coke and AFL and quite like big brands. And some of them have had, you know, been asked to quote or or tender for jobs in the racing industry for stallion promotion. And they're fascinated by the fact that there's a sport that they know exists for a week a year, i.e. Yeah. Flemington Cup week, really. And the Everest now has its own place yeah. in the market. But really it's it's a it's in the background for much of the year. These professionals, media professionals, have been stunned by the requirements, professionalism, budget behind promoting a stallion that is effectively breeding, and that's its sole purpose in life. Yeah. But so there's a, it's become very, very a very important part of the whole industry, Tubbo. With every all the major farms, ourselves included, you've got to support the people who are supporting your stallion. Those people help make the stallion. You've got to support them in the marketplace, which... It's I'm not a, just coming and sending them there, it's the aftermath, isn't and it? It's the combination of things. Um, all, the, all the social media now, the, the, you know, at Newgate, there's somebody every day putting up, well done, Nick, on breeding your winner. It's all about just awareness mm. and, yes, it is promoting, it is pushing your product. Make no mistake... Um, there shouldn't be any apology for that, but it's all about keeping it out there in the marketplace, in the face of people, and we need to support the people that are supporting us and our shareholders 
and our racing team shareholders all the way through. Everyone that goes into the Newgate Colt syndicates are all breeders and they've got lovely mares. Um, we're seeing, we're seeing more and more of the, of the Colt syndicates and you know and we, we everyone's yeah, searching for that yeah, yeah and we all know that they that it's not a most stallions aren't successful well a large percentage of stallions aren't successful. you probably know the the percentage type of it um but it, it to me it seems like it, it's forced the price of colts up Look, to, to a point where they're ungettable well the old the old saying was many are called fewer chosen yeah. but look all the big farms and or most of the bigger farms now do have a, a racing arm. They're buying colts yeah. or breeding yeah. colts to race. Yeah. And Newgate's system has been very good. Henry's um, approach and, and how he does it is second to none. But we've just we've seen other people that have been doing well. Coolmore, to be fair, with Home Affairs and with their slipper winner this year. Um, that's nice for Tom. He deserves that. Yeah. And look, everyone who's investing, everyone who's putting in, and everyone who's doing the work deserves. You know the good thing, you know, in in the industry, if someone does really well, we're all so happy for them. Well, because we know how hard it is. To um, get them yeah, it's difficult, and make no mistake, it doesn't work every year. Um, That's the other thing I want to ask you about. Yeah. The first season syndrome. First season stallion syndrome. Yeah. Second season sort of drop off. Yes. Third season, either genius or an imbecile to go, and then and you know and and how that pattern affects. I know from my point of view, by assisting a, a prominent horse trainer, you you you're looking at horses that you can actually market again. So some of the second season stands are, oh, God, you know, it, they don't want them this year, whereas I, I won't mention it. Anyway. What, but, drive, you know what, what I mean? drives that? Is that that off-the-track first year, big push, we've got shareholders, we've got Who's investors, got? you make a big, there's a big play behind that horse. Well, and then the second year, perhaps there's another horse that's come off the track, so the second-year horse doesn't get the same push. Is that the is that the general process? Well, I can see that trainers and syndicators find it easier to market the fresh horse. There's no doubting that. The fresh first season stadium that has a profile and for next year we'll have stay inside, wild ruler, um, it, you know, and then we've got two of the less expensive stadiums. They'll be a little harder, but those sort of horses are easy to market for the syndicator, for the trainer, for, you know, the people who are putting these racing groups together. They are easier. It's the unknown when you get to year two and year three as to whether they're going to be any good or not. Um, and if I can refer to one of ours, which is Stay Inside, he covered an amazing first book of mares. Make no mistake, it would be as good as any first I read season. the ad. I read the ad. But it is. Yeah. 50%. <laughs> I read the ad. I read the casing group winners. Well, <laughs> well, do you, but you know something? Uh, it, and look, it's not me beating my chest about that. If you are a breeder, you would think that stay inside will get early runners. Yeah. With that level of mare that he's covered. Yeah, you're safe to go to him year two. Year two. Yeah. You, I would say you're very safe to go to him with that follow-up. Yeah. Um, and then year three, if you like the polls and you like everything, 
Just go. You go and you push it again. I think in that case study, you've just summed up the whole conversation as to how how the evolution works. And you've just given us a beautiful little case study there. Let's stay inside about how that that marketing machine works too at the, at the major studs. Gentlemen, we've got the sale about to start in the background. Bit of competition going on out there. We're about to see lot one go through here at the uh, Great Southern Sale. But thank you very much. We could have talked for an hour about this topic, but it's great to touch on it and hit some key points. Tubba, thanks for for your time. I know you're a busy man and 40. Thanks for yours too. It's it's an absolute pleasure and you are right. Um, We could right the wrongs of the world, but it would take (laughs) us hours. Look, and there's there's things that Tubba and I will probably... You know, maybe we could have talked about it, but we've just run out of time. Maybe we do an episode two. Well, there's the, the, the amusing people that we've met. We have conversations, Tubber and I, about amusing characters that we've met in the industry over the years, and uh, and uh, we could talk about them for hours as well. So, anyway, thank you, Mick, and thanks, Tubber. We'll save, we'll save for an episode two, boys. We'll do it again. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Shortlist. And remember, if you need help with planning your matings or finding a suitable stallion this coming breeding season, hit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBA member. 